Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you don't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 1 Timothy and chapter number 2. The book of 1 Timothy and chapter number 2. We're in a series that we're going over through the summer of the pastoral epistles. And through it we're hitting the book of 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and the book of Titus. And hitting these books that are different than the rest of the epistles. The rest of the epistles are written to churches. However, these epistles are personal epistles that the Apostle Paul is taking time to write to his sons in the faith, two men that he has trained and that are behaving and acting as pastors. Timothy, the pastor of the church of Ephesus, uh, Titus, the pastor of the church of Crete. And both of them are to encourage these young men to stand and to behave, to train them to be the pastors and how to train and operate and to to work within the churches that they are pastoring. So with this, we understand that there's a lot of things that Paul is teaching them to remind them to teach to other people. And we come to one of those segments here in the book of 1 Timothy in chapter number 2. The book of 1 Timothy in chapter number 2, and notice with me in verse number 1. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior." who will have all men to be saved and come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle, I speak the truth in Christ and lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity." I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of 1 Timothy chapter number 2? 1 Timothy chapter 2, and notice with me in verse 3, the phrase, good and acceptable in the sight of God. Good and acceptable in the sight of God. Of God, And as Paul is teaching Timothy things that Timothy is supposed to do and work with him, that Timothy is supposed to teach other people things that are good and acceptable in the sight of God. Things that are good and acceptable in the sight of God. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you, we're thankful for the clear teaching of the Word of God. And we're thankful that there are things in the Word of God that can apply to everyone, not just to pastors, but to everyone who believes in you, that there are certain things that we ought to do that we can know that is good and acceptable in the sight of God. Thank you that we can be led by your precious word and be guided to know exactly what we're supposed to do and the things that can be pleasing to you. I'm glad that we don't have to guess and say, I hope I'm pleasing to God. I wonder if I'm pleasing to God. But we can know that there are certain things that we can do according to your word that is always pleasing, that is always acceptable in your sight. I'm asking that you would help us now to have great understanding. Open up your word in a special way and let there be a spirit of anticipation that people have a desire for their own lives to know 
things that are good and acceptable in your sight. Again, because we're hitting such an important subject, I cannot be in the way. So the best I know how, I surrender myself to you. Ask that you fill me with your precious spirit, that you can get your own work accomplished tonight or this morning. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Things that are good and acceptable in the sight of God. You know, <laughs> we live a life that sometimes... Man has made complicated. Remember the Bible has always made things simple. God wants life to be simple. He wants the relationship with him to be simple and not complicated. And we're very good at complicating things. If you ask people uh, and do a survey and say, hey, what is it that pleases God? You can get all kinds of different answers. You can get all kinds of things. And so sometimes people, because of the confusion, because of the complexities... They just don't know how to be pleasing to God. They don't know if they are pleasing to God. Am I doing things that are good and acceptable in God's sight? Is this good and acceptable? What kind of things can I do to, to have in God's sight be good and acceptable? What pleases God? We understand that God is a great God. And we're not talking about salvation, things to do in order to earn something from God. It's actually because of who God is, we want to be pleasing to Him. It's like a child who wants to be pleasing to their parent because they love them. They want to do something for them, not to get something from them, but because they love them. Well, thankfully, the Bible takes time to explain there are certain things that are always good and acceptable in the sight of God. If you don't mind, let's just look at some things here that the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, mentions to Timothy about things that are good and acceptable in the sight of God. First of all, we understand it is good and acceptable to pray for everyone. It is good and acceptable to pray for everyone. Notice, if you don't mind, as we start here, we could see there's quite a bit in these first two verses. Notice, if you don't mind, that there are different types of prayers. There are different types of prayers. Verse number two, or verse number one of chapter two, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks. All of these are different types of prayers. Notice, first of all, we see supplications. What is supplications? Supplications is asking God something specific. This is asking for God for something. God, we need money. God, we need this. God, we need this. And you know, we should be giving supplications. There's a saying it says in the book of James, you have not because you ask not. You know, sometimes we just don't ask God for things. And we wonder why we don't get things because we didn't ask. You know, it's always acceptable to pray for other people with supplications. Because there's everyone that has a need. Everyone needs something. Whether it's salvation. Whether it's the gift of God. Whether it's a blessing of God. Whether it's finances. Everyone needs something. And so we could pray for others in supplications. For their needs. For specific things they need in their life. But also us. There are times that we need things. And so it's good and acceptable to make supplications, to ask God of a specific request. Notice, if you don't mind, it also gives the idea of prayers, prayers. In this case here, the, the idea of prayers here carries the idea of a personal devotion with God with an awareness of God's or power. It is a personal devotion of God with a personal awareness of God's power. You know, it is acceptable and good to pray for other people to knowing that God is real and God wants to work in people's lives. You know, there's not a single person in the world that God does not want to work in their life. God wants to do a work in everyone's life. And so we could pray for so-and-so knowing that God has the power to deliver them from drugs. You know, that's good and acceptable to pray for them. Maybe there's someone who's away from God. It is good and acceptable knowing that God is on the throne and that he has power that God can draw that person back to himself. Maybe bring them to salvation. It is good and acceptable. You know, when we go to God and realizing that he is, the Bible talks about in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6, that without faith it is impossible 
to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek them. There's a lot of pronouns in there. Maybe we could unpronoun that. It says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. You know what pleases God? Faith. What is faith? It's looking unto Jesus. It's believing who God is. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he, that's us, that cometh to God, must believe that he is. Now, it ends up with just that verb, that he is. And it kind of carries an understanding. That he is what? That God is God. You know, part of faith is believing that God is God. What does that mean? That God is God enough to do what we ask. God is God enough to work in someone's life. That God is God, that he has the power. You know, sometimes our prayers are so wimpy. Because we fail to believe that God has the power to change someone's life. And then we like to leave God a way out. So we say, God, if it's your will. We kind of leave God an escape clause. But if you're going to have faith, you have to believe that God is God. Can God change someone's life? Yes or no? Yes. Can God change so-and-so's life? Yes. Then can we not pray that away? Yes. Can God save, bring salvation to a president? He can. So when we have someone like President Obama, is it good and acceptable to pray for God to save him? It is. Why? Because God has power. Do you know that God has more power than the Democratic National Convention? God has more power than the Republican National Convention. God has more power than the Senate, the government. God has power. Can God change things? Yes. And so it is good and acceptable to make prayers with the idea that God has the power. Devotion to him saying, God, you're able to do such things. You're able to change lives. You're able to strike down that law. You are able to use this for your glory and your honor. The Bible says here, I exhort you therefore that first of all supplications, that's a type of prayer that we're asking for God something specific, supplications, prayers, this carries the idea of a personal devotion with God with an awareness of God's power. That God is able to do these things. Verse, uh, notice the third thing. Prayers, intercessions. Intercession is a type of prayer that we come in the presence of God in the behalf of someone else. So I am going to God in order to pray for so-and-so. So-and-so needs prayer. And I'm going on his behalf to go to you and pray for them. For their needs. To intercessor between them. We see this all throughout the Bible. Most notably in the book of Job. At the very end of the book of Job. God tells Job to pray for his friends. God didn't tell his friend, Job's friends to pray for themselves. He said, Job, you come and you pray for your friends. And so Job went to God on behalf of his friends to pray for them. That's intercession. We're going to God on behalf of someone. Let's say that we know someone who is not right with God. And they're not in the position to come to God. We can go on their behalf to approach God and talk to God for them. That's intercessory prayer. We could go to God. We could pray. And so it says, I exhort you therefore that first of all, the very beginning of everything, you know where you start? By prayer. And give supplications, prayers, intercession, and notice this, and giving of thanks. Giving of thanks. What does this mean? It's praise for God for what he has done. The Bible says we're supposed to be thankful for all things. We're supposed to be thankful for those who are in charge. In fact, we're going to see this here in a bit, but it says for everyone. Do you know that you're supposed to give thanks for everyone? The people that hurt you, the people that are against you, people that are against God. Give thanks for them. Because God has a plan. We can trust in him. We need to be thankful for all things, knowing that God is in control, that God is amazing, that God knows what he's doing. And with that, giving thanks carries also the idea 
of believing that God is going to do what you've asked according to his will so much that you thank him in advance. Have you ever thought, thanked God for something you didn't get already? God, I thank you in advance for saving so-and-so. I thank you in advance for bringing this person back to you. They're not back to you yet, but I thank you in advance that you are going to do this. There's an element of faith there to thank God. Thank you, God, for giving me the $7.49 that I need to pay this bill. We could thank God in advance for the victories to be won. And so this is part of prayer that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks. So we can see these different types of prayer. But as we're still talking about what is good and acceptable to God, we talk about the different types of prayer, but we can also see there are people to be prayed for. The Bible gives a list here of people to be prayed for. Notice this, if you don't mind. It starts off with all men. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercession, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Do you know there's not a person on the planet that God does not have a personal interest in? There's no one on the planet that God says, now nah, skip them. Nah, I don't want to hang out with No, 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 not them. Don't pray for them. Nope, nope. There, everyone that lives, God has a desire to work in their life. You can't pray for the wrong person. Some people say, well, I'm just wasting my prayers praying on him. It is never wasted time to pray for them. We're supposed to pray for them. Intercede. Give thanks for them. It means even if you have a president that's not someone you desire, you're supposed to pray for them, give supplications for them, to intercede before them, and give thanks for them. To be thankful for them. Just to put that, not only for all men, but notice this. For verse number two, for kings. So giving thanks, giving all this prayer for all men and for kings. And you say, well, I can only pray when the king's right. Well, go back to history. If you understand history and where Paul is at, Paul had been arrested before and brought before the Caesar, the king of the Roman Empire. At that time, that Roman emperor was named Nero. Now, when Paul stood before Nero before, he witnessed to him, gave him a gospel account, and Paul was in prison, and he was released from prison for lack of evidence. The Jewish uh, people who accused Paul didn't show up. So Nero said, case dismissed, see you later. But Paul saw something in Nero, his potential. And in a few short time, Nero is going to go crazy. Paul, in the time of the writing of 1 Timothy and Titus, he's in between prison sentences. Now, what's going to be happening at this time is that Nero started to go really crazy. He lost his advisor. He's tried to kill his mother several times. In fact, it's always hilarious to study how he tried to kill his mother several times. One of them, he gave her a boat that had a hole in it and put, sent her on a sail. And the boat sank. She happened to swim to a shore and came back. And, uh, but he started to go crazy, so crazy that Nero always fancied himself as a conductor, as a director. And so he decided on a whim that he was going to set fire to Rome. Now, in Rome, in the inner part of the city, there was a lot of wood houses. And they were packed close together. So can you imagine a fire? And it swept across Rome. And it said, there's an old saying that as Rome burnt, burnt uh, uh, Nero fiddled. He wasn't necessarily a fiddle, but what he did imagine is as the fire blazed in the background, he, does, he imagined himself as a great director, putting a great play on, and the flames as his background. He imagined a great play and, and directing everything. Until the next morning when people were really mad that Rome burnt down and their houses burnt down and people were killed. And they were looking for him and they started to blame Nero. So Nero said, oops, I got to blame someone else. I know, let's blame the Christians. You see, the Christians don't have a home country. So if I offend them, no other country is going to declare war on me. Besides, people are already suspicious of Christians anyways. So 
Let's make them a scapegoat. And so he blamed the Christians for burning down Rome and declared Christianity outlawed. Very shortly, Paul is going to be sentenced to death by Nero. They're going to put a warrant out for his arrest. They're going to arrest uh, Paul. They're going to arrest Peter. And they're going to kill both of them. This is Nero. This is the guy in charge. And what did Paul say? Notice again in verse 1 and 2. I exhort therefore that first of all supplications and prayers, intercessors, giving of thanks be made for all men for kings. So here it says we're supposed to pray for all the kings. Not if they're what we believe. Not if they're someone we cheer for. But even if they're crazy like Nero. As much as you may have disliked the last couple presidents, none of them have tried to kill Christians yet. You understand? We're supposed to be praying for our president. Praying for those who are in charge. Notice the, sec the third thing. For all men, for kings. Notice this. For all that are in authority. That means everyone that's in charge, that's in authority... We are supposed to pray for the president, for Congress, for the governor. Our governor needs prayer. For police, for parents, for teachers, for pastors. Anyone in a position of authority, we need to pray for them. How do we need to pray for them? How do we pray for our president? Well, you could pray for salvation, that if whatever president we have, that if they don't know Jesus Christ as their personal savior, that they would get saved. How else can we pray for our president? That they would be surrounded by biblical uh, advisors who would give wise counsel. That's always good. That if they have any advisors that have evil counsel, that we could pray that God would stop that counsel, that he would put it to naught. He did that with a man called Epiphathel in the life of David. We'll see that later on when we study David. But God could do those. We should pray for them. Pray that they come to know the Lord. Pray that they make wise counsel. We need to be praying for these men who are in leadership. Our current governor of our state needs prayer with some of the things going on. He needs salvation. He needs um, wise counsel around him. That some of the counsel that he does have that would be defeated. We need to pray for our Congress people, state legislators, we need to pray for police that they have safety and that they do their job well. We need to pray for teachers, teachers who are teaching our kids. They need lots of prayer for wisdom, for discernment, for working with them. Parents, you need to pray for your parents' children, that they have wisdom and discernment, that they can make wise decisions. You need to pray for your pastor, that he's in his Bible, that he's staying close to the Lord. That we need to be praying for all men. We need to be praying for kings. We need to pray for all those <laughs> that are in authority. By the way, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God. This is things that we're supposed to be doing. That any time that you're praying wisely for those in authority, those that are kings, those uh, for all men, God's not going to say, you know, I really wish they wouldn't pray for them. It's always good. It's always acceptable for you to pray for others, especially those that are in authority. Then we come not only the um, <coughs> not only the idea of the people to pray for, and not only the different types of prayer, but then we come to the purpose of prayer. Why? Why are we praying for these things? Notice, if you don't mind, as it continues on in verse two, for kings, for those that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness. And honesty. Here are four direct uh, statements here that we can leave a quiet life. The word quiet carries the idea of tranquility arising from without, from outward disturbances. So, first of all, that we can live a quiet life from outside. <laughs> if we're praying for a president, for a governor, for state legislators, for lawmakers, that they would have wisdom. That means they will not pass laws if we're praying as we ought. And that we'll be content that God knows what he's doing, that if anything is passed, that we don't have to be worried and fretting over the government. One of the things that is a mark of church people nowadays is that we get to social media and we freak out about everything. 
What is the governor doing? What is the president doing? What is this doing? Why? And we're not living a very quiet life. And it's evidence that we're not praying for people as we are and trusting that God has the ability to work. And that we should be living a quiet life. A quiet life from without. And that trusting that God knows what he's doing. Notice it goes on. A quiet but peaceable life. A quiet and peaceable. The word peaceable carries the idea of tranquility arising from within. It's having a peace when there's storms all about. That we don't have to be freaking out because we have a peace within. Because we prayed. We're trusting in God. That we, don't, that we could have a quiet life from the, from the storms without. But we could also have a quiet life, a peace from the storms that, <laughs> that do come. We have a peace within us. Where does this come from? From praying for all men. Praying for those that are kings. Praying for those that are in authority. That we ourselves can have a quiet and peaceable life in godliness. Notice this as we come to a different statement. Godliness. Godliness is an attitude to please God. If we're praying for people as we ought, we will love them even when they are wrong. Do you know that even if our president is wrong, we're supposed to love them? Have a compassion. I understand that some presidents make it easy to love. And some make it easy to love to hate them. But we're supposed to love them. You look at Jesus. Do you know that it says in the Bible that Jesus loved Pilate? He loved him. Even though Pilate's the one that sent him to death. Jesus was able to love on him. To show him compassion. To care for Pilate and his soul. Even when Pilate was sentencing him. How do you have that? By praying for those, having that peaceable life, having an attitude to be pleasing to God, no matter who is in charge. That if we get to the place where we hate so-and-so so much that we can't even pray for them, that's not their problem, that's our problem. And that we need to pray for them no matter what our view of them is, they need our prayers. Then we come that for kings, for all those in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in godliness... And honesty. This carries the idea of honesty. Carries the idea of gravity or dignity. That's applied to have decency and decorum. That's a big thing. Basically it's not to put on a false appearance. About how to deal with people. It's that when we are dealing with those who are in authority. Those that are kings. Those that are against us. That we should have some decency and decorum. A way of carrying ourselves. We all know Christian people, maybe even ourselves, that have lost decency, have lost this idea of carrying ourselves well when talking about a president or someone we don't agree with. That we've lost all testimony. Let's just put it that way. That, that we don't carry ourselves well. And it's because we're not praying for the people. Not as we love them. You take someone as President Obama, who a lot of church folks did not agree with his policies. But what they did is they went to attack the man. And they lost all decency. They all lost all testimony. They, there was no way that someone says, I can't stand what he does. Turn around and say, do you love him? It didn't carry it. You take our current president who is very much polarizing, no matter who you are. Some people hate him. Some people just question, you know. It doesn't matter what you think of him. You should love him enough to pray for him. And if you love him, you don't attack the man. You may disagree with policies, and that's our right as citizens, that we could disagree with policies, but never get to the place where we lose our testimony where we're attacking a man, attacking a person. It should never be that way. It should not be carried for. That's what lost people do. But if you're praying for someone and you develop a love for them, you don't want them to fail. You want God to work on their life for them to become who they ought to be. Maybe you have an employer who drives you nuts. Pray for them. And if you pray for them as you ought, and you love them as you ought, you'll be less inclined to watch them fail. And you want the best for them. You want them to come to the Lord. If your pastor is driving you nuts, 
If you're praying for him as you ought, and you love him as you ought, you don't want to attack the man. You want to see him succeed. Does this make sense? It goes through that all authority. Parents, husbands, police officers, you go on. That if you're praying for them as you ought and loving them as you ought, you don't want them to fail. You don't want them to get hurt. You want them to come to know the Lord and have a relationship with him. But you see where it starts? It starts with our prayer. It starts with our relationship with God concerning that person. If you have someone you consider your enemy, go to God and ask for God to bless them. It will do you wonders in your own heart if you honestly come to the place where you want good things to happen to your enemy. You want God to work in their life. But that's something that comes with prayer. And the Bible says this is good and acceptable unto God that we pray for all men. It is good and acceptable for God. As we go on, we see there's a second thing that is good and acceptable in the sight of God. Not only to pray for everyone, but is good and acceptable to witness to everyone. It is good and acceptable to witness to everyone. Notice with me in verse number 3. In verse number 3 it says, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men. Now what does all mean? All means all. That God will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, that man, Christ Jesus. It is acceptable for us to pray for all men because God desires to see all men saved and all of them to come to the knowledge of the truth. If we are praying for people as we ought, we don't want them to see them to die and go to hell. Do you know God doesn't want anyone to go to hell? And if we have the same heart of God, we don't want to see people die and go to hell. It's always amazing to me. Social media is just a fun thing to look at and scratch your head. When someone dies who hates Christianity or people think is bad, to see the Christians come out and act like they're glad that a person is burning in hell. It is never an acceptable thing. It is never a thing to rejoice when someone dies without accepting Jesus as their Savior. It doesn't matter who they are or what type of life they have. And if we love people, we don't want to see anyone go to that awful place. The thought of anyone going to hell should break our heart because it is that awful. We should never rejoice when someone dies without salvation. Never. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter if they were a president. It doesn't matter if they were a dictator. We often wonder who is praying for these presidents? Who is praying for these leaders? What would happen if people had got together in the 1930s and 40s and prayed for Adolf Hitler to get saved? Would things maybe be a little bit different? You understand there are evil people out there without a doubt. But it'd be more effective instead of us yelling at them to pray for them and pray for their salvation. If nothing else, it does our heart good. Because we shouldn't have enemies of anybody. They may be our enemies, but we shouldn't be their enemies. Because we want God to lead them to the Lord. The greatest thing that can happen to anyone who's against God is for them to get saved and to get right with God. Whether it's a governor, whether it's a president, no matter who it is, God wants them all to be saved. And it is acceptable for, in God's sight for us to witness to everyone. You can't witness to the wrong person. You can't tell anyone your testimony to the wrong person. You can't pass out a tract to the wrong person. You say, but they may yell at me. That's fine. Your job was to be the messenger. How they respond is between them and God. Do you know that sometimes God works on someone? It's been interesting throughout the years to have someone finally get saved. And they say, you know what happened? In the last three months, 
someone, I keep turning around. Everywhere I turn around, someone's telling me about church. Someone's telling me about God. Someone's, and you know what's happening? God is after them. He's putting the pressure on them, bringing it over and over and over. And you may pass out a track and they just get so frustrated. It could be because they've already said no to God before and God's reminding them and provoking them until finally they give up to the next person who gives them a track. God's working. You can't witness to the wrong person. You don't have to worry about if they're going to get mad and upset. We live in a safe place. Most of the time, people are not going to kill you for passing on a track. They may look like they will, but they're probably not. I've only been shot at once for passing on a track. And that was mostly because I was on the wrong side of town in Mississippi wearing bright cowboy clothes in a dark side of town. And that was probably why not, because of witnessing. But you understand... You can't witness to the wrong person. Every single person needs to go to heaven. Every single person. It doesn't matter if they're a big old biker with tattoos and they're wearing a sleeveless uh, vest and it's in the middle of January. It doesn't matter. Pass out a track. Now, we understand there are times we use discernment. For example, I do not recommend going to a public park and passing out tracks to all the little kids there. You go talk to the parents, that's fine. But we want to use discernment in our day and age. You understand what I mean? However, you can't pass out a track to the wrong person. You can't witness to the wrong person. You can't put a track on the wrong door. You can't put a track on the wrong door in a parking lot. Everyone needs to be witnessed to. It's always good and acceptable to witness to everyone. Because God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Jesus Christ was the mediator, the go-between between God and man. Over here you had God, who is a holy, righteous God, who cannot be in the presence of sin. Whereas you have man, who if man, even if he wanted to approach to God, could not because sin put a, a wedge between them. And so almost like any kind of labor dispute or disagreement, you have God, who has qualifications in order to get with man that have to be filled. You have man who has qualifications that have to be fulfilled in order for him to approach God. And you had God and man who were separated and could not get together. That's why we needed a mediator between God and man. Someone to go in between. And that was the Christ, Jesus Christ, the God-man, who came on this earth as God in the fashion of a man who lived the same life as man, who experienced life as a man, who became in the form of man, so that way he could go to man and say, man, I'm willing to pay your price. And for God, he says, God, I'm willing to satisfy the price that was made. And he died on our behalf. He was our substitutionary atonement. The word substitutionary means that he took the place of. Atonement means he paid the price of. He died on the cross and paid the price for us. When that happened, Jesus Christ arose from the grave. When he arose from the grave, it proved two things. It proved, first of all, that he was God. Then it proved that God was satisfied with the payment that was made and that he was Considered our propitiation. That word means the appeasement of God's wrath. That God is no longer angry at man because of sin. Because of the penalty. The price was paid. On man's side, Jesus Christ was our redemption. He, the word redeem means to buy back. In the old Roman days, <laughs> that word came about because 75% of the Roman Empire were slaves. And so the word redeemed came about, meaning to buy back as from a slave market. That you would actually purchase the price of a person. And the purchase price for our sin, for us, was blood. For the wages of sin is death. And Jesus died for us. He died as us. He satisfied God's payment. And then he purchased our price on his body with his blood. And all that was left was, was called reconciliation. That God and man could now come together and have fellowship and speak to each other because of the mediator that went between them that found out what was necessary to satisfy the payment to get them together. And that's what Jesus Christ did. He was their mediator. There is one God and one mediator between God and man the man, Christ Jesus. That what Jesus Christ did is he came on this earth to, to reconcile all men with God. Now what comes 
to pass is that each person individually must accept the terms of this agreement. God has already agreed, but each person must be willing to agree to have Jesus pay their price. That's what salvation is, is that a person comes purposely, specifically to God and say, God, I agree to allow Jesus to pay that price. Until someone agrees, they're not saved. I, we, we were pastored in the South for a while. And we dealt with uh, the Bible Belt. The Bible Belt's not really the Bible Belt. It's a religious belt, but it's not the Bible Belt. And the reason why I say that is because they have such a culture of Christianity that there are a lot of people who are Baptist, Methodist, whatever, because of culture but they never personally accepted Jesus as their savior. They may have grown up all of their life hearing about God, but they never personally accepted Christ to be their savior. That is an important point. Every person must come to a place in their life where they accept the terms. They may believe that Jesus died for them. They may believe that they deserve to go to hell. They may believe that Jesus paid the price and they don't have to go to hell. But until they come to the place in their life, a point action in their time, where they personally accept Christ as their Savior, they may be religious, but they are not saved. They must come to that place of accepting the terms for themselves. But the good news is that the term, that things already paid... All that's left is that we must receive that free gift. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He paid the price. And we understand that it is good and acceptable for everyone to be witness to, to be told how they accept Christ as their Savior. Notice if you don't mind, as it goes on in verse 6, who gave himself a ransom for all. The word ransom carries the idea of a redeemed. It carries the idea that it means in the place of the price of a slave. That when he paid the ransom, he paid the requirements of the price of the slave. He paid the ransom. He paid the price to grab that person. Then notice what it says. For he gave himself as a ransom for all to be testified in due Time. The word due time, the phrase due time, comes from two words. The first word means a fixed point in time where everything changed. When Jesus died, he died in one point of time that affected all of history around it. Then we come to the next word. It carries the idea of private, unique, the only one of its kind. That what Jesus did in that point of time was like nothing else in all of history. It was unique and special. And so when it said that Jesus Christ came in due time, he came in one point of action in time and all of history that was different than anything else that ever happened that changed the course of history all in the future in due time. When Jesus Christ died on the cross and he paid the ransom for you and me, he paid the price, it changed everything from that point on. Everything changed at that moment. And now because of what Jesus Christ did, everyone can be saved because of what Jesus Christ has done. So as we're talking about things that are good and acceptable in God's sight, we know it's good and acceptable in the sight of God to pray for everyone. We know that it is good and acceptable in the sight of God to witness to everyone. Then we come to the idea, it is good and acceptable to follow God's will. It is good and acceptable in the sight of God to follow God's will. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse number 7. Whereunto I am ordained, that word ordained carries the idea of chosen. I, whereunto I am ordained a preacher. So he says, let me tell you what God's will for me is. I'm a preacher. And an apostle. The word preacher carries the idea of a proclaimer. The word apostle carries the idea of a sent one. That I was sent. God has specifically sent me for something. Wherefore I am ordained a preacher and an apostle. I speak the truth in Christ and lie not. A teacher of the Gentiles. So here he was called to be a preacher. He was sent to be an apostle. He was also put to be a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. He said, let me tell you what God's will for me is. Is that God has put me in this earth to do something for him. By the way, God has a good and perfect and acceptable will for your life as well. 
He, there is some, a reason why you exist. You were all created with purpose. May I say it this way? None of you were an accident. Some of you may have been a surprise to your parents. But none of you were an accident. God has a purpose for your life. There is a reason why you exist. May I follow that up? There's a reason why God offered salvation to you. He saved you for a purpose. He didn't save you and say, now what do I do with you? None of you are so worthless that God rubs his head and says, what do I do with you? He has a plan for you. There is something for your life. And there is something he wants you to do for him in his glory. And it is good and acceptable for you to find what it is. For Paul, he says, he sent me to be a preacher. He put me to be an apostle. He sent me to, talk, to be a teacher to the Gentiles. Notice verse 8 as he follows that up. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. He says, you want to know how to start? He says, start with prayer. Start with prayer. You know what happens is we start praying. You notice it started with prayer and then it ends with prayer in this passage. When we start praying and talking with God, God starts to direct us. I gave this illustration to a man who called last night. And he was saying, I don't know what to do for God. Well, that's a good answer. Let, let's talk about that. He said, you remember the days before power steering? And he says, uh-huh. You remember the days without power steering that if you were going to try to turn a vehicle... Um, Without power steering, you had to get almost stand on one side of the steering wheel and just kind of pull that thing and took a lot of work. However, if the vehicle was moving, it was a lot easier to move that steering wheel and to steer the vehicle. You know what the best way is to find God's will? To start moving. And what's the first thing you're supposed to do? Pray. You get in the habit of praying and talking with God and working with Him. He'll direct you to where you're supposed to do. May I say it this way? You're not trying to find out what God's will for you is next week, next year, 10 years from now. You're supposed to be in God's will right now. And if you're in God's will right now, you'll probably be in God's will tomorrow. And if you're in God's will tomorrow, you'll probably be in God's will the next day. You see how that works? The Bible talks about in Genesis 24 where Abraham sent his servant to go find a bride for Isaac. When he did that, he found Rebekah. And Rebekah's dad said, hey, how'd you get here? And the servant said, I being in the way, God led me. That's a great phrase. I being in the way, God led me. It carries the idea that he was in the center of God's will. And it was almost like a, a tidal wave. And that as he was where he was supposed to be, that tidal wave carried him exactly where he's supposed to go. If you're in God's will right now, God will bring you where you're supposed to be tomorrow. And if you're in God's will tomorrow, God will bring you where you're supposed to be the next day. You're not supposed to be finding God's will 10 days from now. May I say it this way? Tomorrow's none of your business. You concentrate on what you're supposed to be doing right now. And God will take care of tomorrow. Just be right with God now. How do you start off with? I will therefore that men pray everywhere. Men will pray everywhere. Start with prayer. You know, Paul prayed in prison. That's everywhere. In fact, some of Paul's best prayer time was in prison. He speaks about that. It says, I will therefore pray that everywhere, lifting up holy hands. Now, sometimes people get scared of lifting up holy hands. This is actually a custom that comes all the way back from Psalm 24, verses 2 and 3, that carries the idea with clean hands and a pure heart. And a tradition kind of came up where, where people are praising God. They'll lift up their hands, and it's supposed to signify, hey, look, God, look at my hands. They're clean. Have you ever had a kid that said, show me your hands? What's in your hand? Show me what's in your hand. And they don't want to because they know they're going to get in trouble. You know, if they say, show me your hands and they have no problems, that means they have nothing to hide. We're supposed to have clean hands and a pure heart. That we're able to say, lift up holy hands. This is supposed to be more of the idea of figuratively than literally. However, there's nothing wrong with literally. But saying, God, look, I've got clean hands and a pure heart. I can pray with, because I don't have any false motive. I'm clean and I'm right with you. This is where you're supposed to start. 
I will therefore that men will pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Without wrath and dying, doubting, saying, God, I'm not praying for you to go kill them and strike them down with, with lightning. I'm praying and talking to you because I want to be right with you. I want something to happen to them. I'm obeying what you said that I'm supposed to pray for all men, including my good-for-nothing husband, including my boss who I can't stand, including the president who makes me scratch my head. I'm praying for them and asking that you would honestly bless them and that you would work on their life, that you would save them, bring them close to you, that they would be wise. And I'm praying and I'm going up to you with clear, clean hands, a pure heart, saying, God... I don't have any doubts. I know that you want to do something. And I'm asking that you do something. You know, if we just start by praying and being thorough in our prayers, we'll be surprised what God can do. And God can bring you exactly where he wants you to be by starting with this. Again, notice it starts with prayer, then it ends with prayer. That's where we need to be at. So let me just ask you this. How's your prayer life? How's your walk with God? How was your praying for others? When is the last time you personally, specifically prayed for your president? When's the last time specifically you mentioned your governor by name? When's the last time you mentioned your mayor by name? When's the last time you prayed for Congress? When's the last time you specifically by name prayed for your husband? Prayed for your teacher. Prayed for your pastor. Prayed for those that were in charge. When's the last time you specifically put yourself at God's disposal to go witness to everyone? You know, again, God doesn't speak to us with a loud voice, but there's a prompting that says, go give him a track. Have you ever been told that by God? And then you kind of fight on that, whether I give her a track or not. Hmm. You know, and you think about it. And you know, some people say, how does God speak to you? There's just a prompting. There's something in your mind that says, go give him a track. And you're like, where'd that come from? Was that me? You know, let me just give you the hint here. You can never give a track to the wrong person. Just do it. Just pass it out. When you have that prompting, just do it. It's God putting you to the test, trying to put, see if you're going to put yourself at God's disposal. You can never witness to the wrong person. The person in the gas station, you're filling up the pump and they're over there. Hi, how are you? Here's a track. Just get in the habit of, of putting yourself at God's disposal. And we find out this is good and acceptable in the sight of God. And I think that's where we all want to be at. We want to have lives that are good and acceptable in the sight of God. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you. Thank you.